0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Christ is risen, and now all things are subject to him. We'll open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We're going to read together from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 down through verse 23. And as we look at this text together, if you're looking at it, it looks like a pretty decent-sized paragraph. It's actually one sentence in the original, and it's just one prayer. When you follow through as we read it together, I just want to point out to you, if your finger goes down through the text, in verse 16, it says, I remember you in my prayers. And then in verse 17 he says what he's going to pray for. That, and then he describes God, and then he goes on to describe what he wants God to do, and then if you look at the middle of verse 18, he says, that you may know. That you may know. So he's praying, that you may know, and then he lists three things. You'll see the word hope in verse 18. You'll see the phrase, the riches of your inheritance in verse 18, and then you'll see the word power, or the immeasurable greatness of His power, you'll see in verse 19. And then, here's the reason why I chose this text this morning, you'll see the resurrection in verse 20. So the way the resurrection is going to function in this text is the resurrection is the greatest proof of the power of God. I want you to follow that through with me as we read it together. So we'll read God's Word, Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, and let's just ask again God's help as we prepare to read His Word. Living Spirit of God, you who wrote this text through your miraculous power of inspiration, would you now, on this Resurrection Sunday, write its truths deep in our hearts, for we need them even now, Lord Jesus. Amen. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Fills all in all. As we walk through this text briefly together this morning, we're going to see ourselves and we're going to see our Savior. And then it's my prayer and even my assurance that as we see our Savior, we'll see ourselves and our circumstances in the light of the immeasurable power of His resurrection. So as we walk through this text together, to me, verse 16 just seems all the more heartaching in our current circumstances. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I remember you sitting in each one of these chairs on a usual Sunday, and certainly on an Easter Sunday, every chair would be full. I remember you and how easy it is when we remember each other to pray for each other. So he says, I remember you in my prayers. You know, if you think about it, the epistle is a very primitive form of technology that was used when people couldn't be together physically, but they wanted to communicate with each other. Well, today... We're using more sophisticated forms of technology because people who want to be together can't be physically together, but we still want to communicate with each other. And we remember our presence together. And when we remember each other, we pray for each other. But we remember being here and we're just temporarily using this technology because we can't happen to be together. But we want to be together because we remember what it's like to be together. You remember what it's like to park in the parking lot and walk in the church. And maybe you have a favorite usher, and that's why you pick the door you pick, because you want that guy to give you that bulletin. And your kids remember their favorite teacher and their classroom and where it is and what it looks like. There's so much that we remember, and we long to be together, and we use whatever means is at our our hands technologically to communicate with each other even when we can't be together. And then in verse 17, because he said that he's praying for them in verse 16, in verse 17, he answers the question, which is a more important question than we sometimes think about. He answers the question, to whom is he praying? We always want to know, what are you praying for? But he takes his time to lay out and elaborate the God to whom he's praying. You see that in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's not done yet, the Father of glory. You would think with that exalted of a title, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, it would make sense to complete that with, uh, that he may rule over all the universe. But he doesn't go cosmic. He goes very personal, talking to people who have needs talking to people who are uncertain about their power in life, he addresses God and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you. You, right where you're at right now, you, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. The knowledge of God is so very necessary. The revelation of scripture is so very necessary. And the wisdom to be guided through life is so necessary. The knowledge of God is so important these days. I'm pretty sure that if you watched last week, and I'm actually pretty sure that if you watched the week before that, both weeks, I emphasized, and here I am about to emphasize it again, unapologetically, the third time I'm emphasizing it, right now in these days, we need biblical knowledge more than ever. The knowledge of God is so important for us because the news distracts and drags us here and there and every other place. And when we're stuck in our homes, we also have, when we're sick of the news, we have our entertainment. I heard, I heard somebody say last week, I, I, I watch the news and I get so worried about it, so then I watch a movie and the whole time I'm watching the movie, I'm worrying about the news, so then I turn off the movie and I watch the news again. We have so many directions that our minds are going. But what we need is the wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of God. Saints, stay in the Bible. Don't waste this time that you have. Just read through the epistles, read through the Gospels, read through the Psalms. These are great times to advance in the knowledge of God. I heard somebody else say this week, uh, now that I am quarantined, I have so much free time that I can't get anything done. We just sort of waste our isolation and we waste the time that we have away but this is the time not to be wasted but the time to grow in the revelation and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so I just, I would love to see our church grow in the knowledge of God. That's why we're putting out uh, every day or every other day, some, something on our website to commend good resources. Darren started this class on the attributes of God. I've got videos up there about different techniques of how to read the Bible, different resources to use. Get that wisdom and that knowledge of God. Amy and I, every night, we're trying to read a book together. We just finished one last night, and I have three in a stack on my table, and we're trying to decide which one to tackle next, or maybe we'll tackle all three of them at the same time. This is not the time to waste time. This is the time to grow in the knowledge of God. And now we move to verse 18, where he says that what he's really praying for is that they'd have this inner knowledge in the heart of these three things, that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in verse 18, and then in verse 19, the power that he's demonstrated to us. Let's tackle those first two in verse 18, that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Interesting that this morning, the word of God would call us to hope and it would call us to count up our riches at a time when the world is very uncertain of our hope and at a time when it seems everyone's riches are dwindling. I talked with a church member yesterday who just uh, lost her job. I talked to two or three church members day before yesterday who still have their jobs, but they're on this mandatory one week out of every three or one week after out of every four, they have to not work and take no pay. So they still have their jobs, but they have a 25 to 33% decrease in their income, which is significant. We have burdens and we have struggles. I talked to a mom this week whose adult son works in the ICU and we prayed for her son. We have concerns, we have uncertainties, we have hopes that are not certain. I just talked to one of our high school seniors and I just think all the things they look forward to in the senior year of high school and that's all completely off the table. We all have hopes that we're not certain about and we all have burdens And as the church, we carry those burdens together and we share that together and we lament together and we pray for each other and we understand each other and we encourage each other. But listen, church, as a church, we also have blessings. And I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would see the hope that you have, the riches of the inheritance that you have, and the greatness of the power that is now working in those who believe. And when he gets to this subject of power in verse 19, look at all these phrases. What's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. When he hits this subject of power, he like, he hits a vein and he just can't get it to quit gushing out. You ever have a subject like that? I was on the phone with a friend of mine who lives in another town this week and I I mentioned a topic to him and immediately he says, oh no how much time do you have? If you get me started on that topic, I'll never stop. That's the topic power here. It's like, as soon as he mentions power, he just blows past all the limits. There's this remarkable accumulation of terms in verses 19 and 20. And whenever you see that in the Bible, this remarkable accumulation of terms, this uh, high pile of verbiage, what it's saying is, all of the resources of the Greek language or all of the resources of the English language in our our case, we stack all those up, but we are still left short of what we're trying to say because that's the extent of the immeasurable greatness of God's power. That's the extent of his power. And get this, church. Look at verse 19. Church, do not skip verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Look. Look toward us who believe. I'm praying that as you see this text, you will see yourself in a new light in the word of God because of the resurrection of the Son of God. This power is at work in us who believe. The power of God the Father which raised God the Son from the dead is now operative in the church of God by the presence of the Spirit of God in the power of the Son of God. Church, it's understandable, though it's wrong, it's understandable that we would feel powerless these days powerless against government-mandated shutdowns, powerless against viruses, against economic downturns, against life and death and all the rest. But what verses 19 and 20 say is that the power of God the Father, which raised the obedient and victorious Son of God up to the heavenlies, is now at work by the Spirit of God in the church, which is the living body, the fullness of God the Son. The power of God the Father, which raised the Son from the dead, is now at work in the church, which is the fullness of that risen Son. That power is most mightily demonstrated in the resurrection. That's what verse 20 says, and that's why I picked this text for today. Because essentially, how the resurrection factors in here is that the question is, how do we measure the immeasurable greatness of God's power? And the best answer the apostle can come up with is this, by the resurrection and exaltation of Christ Jesus. The King of glory has risen and ascended, and the outcome now for the church is settled, and the victory for the church is sure, because the King of glory has opened up the gates and entered into heaven, and we have entered with him. Why is the resurrection such a great demonstration of power? Two words. Why is the resurrection such a great demonstration of power? Because of these two things, sin and death. Sin and death. These two forces, sin and death. These two forces, death and sin. And I'm not uh, arbitrarily importing that to this text, you'll find it right here. Look at, we quit our reading in verse 23 of chapter 1. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There it is, death and sin. I don't even know. Sin and death, death and sin. We are mortal. We are dying and we cannot avoid death. We are sinners. We keep sinning and we cannot break free from sin's slavery, enslavement. We're mortal. We cannot avoid death. This is the truth of the word of God. You know, every Christian church understands that uh, social distancing, suspending our corporate gatherings, this may be a necessary step to avoid infection and avoid spreading the virus and flattening the curve, but these things don't literally, church, these things don't literally save anybody's life. These things only delay their death because everyone is dying. Death is still inevitable. We're mortal. We can't avoid death. But we're sinners. And we can't break free from sin. Sin is awful. I I don't know what to do but weep when I hear all of these credible reports that domestic violence is skyrocketing now that everyone has to stay at home. Even if we can't get outside of our own doors, we will find ways to bring evil and hurt and hate and violence into our lives as as, as close as it can get. We are sinners and we cannot free ourselves from our sin and we're mortal and we cannot free ourselves from death. But God, but God has defeated the inevitable. And God has broken the unbreakable slavery. If you look at chapter two, we stopped our reading in verse three that we're, we have sin and death and we're under wrath. But look at verse four of chapter two. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive by Christ, by grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and that's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. You see, God has defeated the inevitable. And God has broken the unbreakable chains. The resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that sin and death are broken in the lives of those who believe. That is the demonstration of power. That is the measure of the immeasurable greatness of his power. And church, what direction is this power going in? Church, what is the location toward which this power is driving? And church, I command you again, by, by, by the word of God, look again at verse 19. What is the location toward which this power is driving? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's you. I just love that because it's as if someone, maybe you, could read this chapter and say, That's a lot of great stuff about God and his power and Jesus and his resurrection, but it's not mine yet. I'm still so weak. I'm still so small. I'm still so frail. My days are still so dark. My future is still so uncertain, but church, get this. This most marvelous demonstration of the power of God in defeating sin and death by the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ is meant to be emotionally, viscerally, actually related. To the way your heart beats, the way your soul has freedom, the way your lungs breathe, the way you have strength to live life right now. Because the power of God the Father, which raised the obedient and victorious Son of God from the grave, is now at work in the hearts of those who believe. It belongs to you. It's ours. What a truth. What a comfort that our victory is sure and our hope is certain. And that just leaves us with verses 22 and 23, that he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, verse 22, he put all things under his feet. This is a a well-worn biblical phrase. It was last Sunday, wasn't it? Man, you you run the weeks together, don't you? It was last Sunday that we talked about Romans 5. The first Adam and the last Adam. All things under his feet. When the first Adam was created, essentially God said, you have dominion over all the earth. Everything is meant to be under your feet. But the first Adam who was meant for dominion was defeated by sin and death. And he never exercised that dominion the way that he had been divinely designed to do. And the last Adam has arrived. And the last Adam has not been defeated by sin and death, but the last Adam in his sinless life defeated sin, and the last Adam in his resurrection defeated death. And the last Adam rises up, defeating sin and death, and now all things are put under his feet and he is given as head over all things to you, to us, to the church. He's ours, and we are his, and all things, it says in verse 22, all things are under his feet. So I ask again one more time, look again, who is it that is in charge? It's so comforting to me that here, In a a chapter where the Trinity is located, it doesn't say the Spirit. It doesn't say the Father. It says that the one who is in charge is Jesus, who has actual nail-imprinted feet. The one who's in charge is Jesus, the risen human the one who's in charge of everything on this planet is the one who has had a human experience of life on this planet. Don't you see that if all things are under his feet and he's the head over all things and we're his body and he, all things are under his feet, that the what this means is that all of our days and all of your health and all of your illnesses and all of the national or global pandemics and all of your money... Worries and all of your little victories and all of your little defeats and all of our tears and everything that happens in our lives falls under the sovereignty of the one who has a human face, the exalted Lord Jesus, who understands what it means to have feet that are weary. All of God's sovereignty is mediated through the one who lived a life like ours, who wept tears like we do, who died a death in our place, crucified for us, and who has risen again, bringing us with him into everlasting life. This is our hope. Church, he is risen. And church, he has us. Church, he has all things in his hands. His glorified, human, nail-scarred hands. And church, all things are under his feet. His human, nail-scarred, glorified feet. Church, this is our Savior, and in him we have life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are risen. And so, Lord Jesus, we rejoice with this hope that you have given to us. And we would simply ask that we would live as those who have risen with you, and Lord Jesus, we ask that even today, and even tonight, and even tomorrow, you would give us so many opportunities to share the message of the gospel, and the sure hope of eternal life with those in our families, those on our streets, and those within our sphere of influence, that many may know that Jesus Christ is risen, and that those who believe in him will rise with him to everlasting life Lord Jesus, we hope and trust in you. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.